one of my pet peeves I've been sharing with my girlfriend about uh, is um, Hungry Jacks. They recently had this um, Make a Wish Foundation kind of thing, and and whenever you do your order, right at the yeah. end, they always say. Uh, would you like to add one dollar to uh, to your order to yes, make a, yeah. you know, to, to contribute to Make a Wish Foundation? And I get the same thing at Coles yeah. and Woolworths. Yeah, uh, I was like, it feels like they're guilting you in this kind of stuff. And then they say, what, if, like, what are you going to do? Say no? <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> if, if you say no, like, it makes you sound like a really bad person. But it's like, I'm pretty sure like these massive corporations earn more money than me. And I think I dug it deep into it. I'm not mm. I'm not quite sure, but I believe that if you do contribute, right, mm. then they then they will be counted as a charity. And so they can claim certain tax deductions for yep. making these kind of uh, contributions. Yep. But it's your money. <laughs> it's just your at dollar. The end, at, so A I don't I say I tend to say no as default. So I guess that makes me a terrible, awful, horrible person. Yeah. But if I'm if I'm going to donate to that particular charity, I'd go there directly, yeah. because I know that my dollar is actually going to go to the charity, mm. as opposed to it's going through a middleman. In this case, the middleman is Hungry Jacks or Coles or Woolworths, yeah. who I don't exactly trust as being the most reputable, honest companies on the planet. Yeah. So what? What was what? All of a sudden, your your charity, huh? Obviously, uh, but but it was interesting because I was like. I think I made a, an order of Hungry Jacks, Burger, mm. Burger King for the you know, for the guys in America because yeah. apparently Hungry Burger King is copyrighted or trademarked already. I was, I was so surprised yeah. to learn that Hungry Jacks and Burger King were the same thing. Yeah, and you know Burger King's now taken the logo of Hungry Jacks, like the Hungry Jacks style of logo is now the Burger King logo. Yeah. Anyway, we're, so we're, funny. We're not even getting any money from them, so we're just. What, we're why, sort, yeah, we're why, why, why are we plugging their names again? Well, because they're one dollar thing. But uh, I said, you know. <laughs> After my order, I just went, and the guy said, "You know, do you want, would you like to add a dollar?" Um, but and as soon as I said, "Would you like to add a dollar?" I started shaking my head, "No." But he kept going, as in like he's been repeating the whole oh, mantra no. so many times to other people. So he's like, "Would you like to add one dollar to make a donation to Make a Wish Foundation?" Blah, 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 blah. And like he kept going after oh, that, and no. I was still shaking my head, "No, no, no." <laughs> I was like, "Stop! <laughs> just let me pay for my food and." We'll continue on, and you can do, it and you can continue this this, this awkward social interaction with someone else. Yeah, like he couldn't stop because he just kept talking about that thing. Uh, it's like, okay, thank you. No, I think all you do is like you get like a little star and you put your name on it. Yeah, uh, you know what? I don't have issue with charity. Yeah, in fact, I would like to give to charity, mm-hmm. and but I feel it's like everyone's taking money for you, so that all of a sudden it's not your choice anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. The gift of able to give to charity, the, mm-hmm. that um, generosity, yes, is taken away from you because you know it's like tax. You know, well, take it away from you. Well, it's it's made more convenient and easier, and I think that because it's easier to do, then kind of the the challenge or the hard the hardness of it or the decision to yeah. make that is made less. It's yeah. it's weighted. It's not as it's not as weighted essentially. Yeah. But, um, there was an interesting yeah. South Park episode about that one about uh, make, oh, yeah. make a dollar and it's like if you don't give a dollar then like uh, you can get that dollar back by taking this dollar from the, this statue of a kid who like scream oh, out no. it's like the guilt kind of thing oh gosh yeah anyway they, they do they do a good job at cutting through to the part of a lot of issues uh, but we're not we're not plugging them either I assume no <laughs> alright so so
welcome back to the Fire in the Desert. I'm South Johnny and Pat. How are you going? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> Another evening. Yeah, indeed. So it's been, it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I guess between... what sick, sick work, work. Yeah. But okay. hey, we're, hey, we're back. Yeah, this is good. We're back. So what have we, what have we got tonight? I, I am going to bring in the MH17. So I'm assuming you're familiar, which vaguely familiar, vaguely familiar. Tell, yeah. tell me, you know, if you can recall, you know, where were you, if you can, yeah, and when the news first hit you, yeah, when well, when the when it first hit, pretty much nothing at all. I had a vague awareness of guys geopolitics as a whole of what was going on because it was 2014 i was in the middle of my middle of studying uni but not a not a great deal and as the story emerged of okay a plane's gone down there are australians on board no survivors it's in in ukraine learning oh there's this conflict happening in you between ukraine and russia and territorial disputes had no idea that was even going on that was even a thing yeah it's just what watching the news as the story emerged and Trying to figure out how in the world, how in the world, the plane thought it was a good idea to go and fly over over a war zone. Mm. But uh, then I think at the end, from my from memory, it was this was going back quite a few years. There it turned out that there was a missile missile launch, a ground to air military equipment that had been set up and shot the plane down. Yeah, we kind of assumed or thought was that there was some mechanical fault or some some uh, what would you call it non uh, non nefarious issue or reason for it and. Turns out it was a it was a deliberate attack. Yeah, pilot like yeah. error, engineering, exactly, exactly, that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, I think what what gets me is that it's it's part of two incidents, mm. of which is part of the the Malaysian Air, airline saga back in the early what well, the mid twenty tens. Yeah, is you know you had the MH seventeen with the missile being uh, shot at the aircraft. Yeah, but you also had the MH three seventy where it flew into the sea. Now that one was much closer to home as well. Because it was in our backyard, pretty much, and we were more involved in the Pacific, I guess. Yeah, with MH seventeen, it was it was half a world away. Mm. I think it was. I think there was a level of it being a bit closer to home than just a just an a airplane tragedy because there were Australians involved. Mm-hmm. So every night you'd see their face, the uh, Australian fa- passengers' faces flashed up on the news. So it kind of made it more relatable. Yeah, uh, and you know, MH yeah. three seventy was was. I think it occurred really close to MH17 time. Yeah, around the same time. And then the public, the I think I remember one lady who was uh, one of the deceased relatives, mm. um, you know, she's saying, oh, why is Malaysian Airlines so stupid? Mm. And then be- because there's, they apparently they didn't learn from the first incident, but, you know, those are two separate aviation incidents, you know, shooting down versus what, what apparently I think is uh, pilot suicide. Yeah. So... And again, it, it's it's a fair, I think it's a fair question to ask of if the same company is involved in two major significant tragedies. Mm. It's an obvious question: is something wrong with the company? But you do have a good point that the two incidences aren't doesn't just because the company is the same doesn't mean it's the same. It's it's an it's equal problems to that. Uh, contributed towards what actually happened. Yeah. Or yeah. well, I guess when you say equal contributory factors. Yeah, exactly. Mo- most of the material I've been gathering is from the Dutch Safety Board. So oh, yeah. they, because it, it left the Netherlands. Their responsibility um, then to... It became more their responsibility in terms of uh, the, uh, one of the European Union uh, countries to look after it uh, because Malaysia, well, Ukraine, where it occurred, they don't have the manpower to yeah. do the kind of 
uh, investigation. investigation. And he had Malaysian Airlines all the way in Malaysia. Yep. So the closest one is the Netherlands. Right. right? And uh, I don't believe Russia is a signatory to the European Union, right? Don't so. think so, no. <laughs> I think they're pretty antagonistic towards Pre- each other. Pretty much. It's like, we're just going to eye, eye them off, Nate. Rather, um... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, some b- basic information for our listeners. Mm. So it occurred on the 17th of July, 2014. It was flying over the East Ukraine conflict zone, uh, and it's referred to the Donetsk region. Mm-hmm. So think of it as a uh, one of the state within the, the nation. Yeah. So uh, a, st- a state being like Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, or America. It'd be like, yeah. you know, Washington. Exactly. Um, Oregon, mm. Texas. Yeah. It's Washington a state? I'm not American. Washington, D.C. Di- Washington, D.C. is a district, but you also but to throw more fuel in the fire, you've got Washington, which is on the other side of the country. So, so that's so. a Seattle area. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah. Uh, so aircraft was a Boeing 777-200 operated by Malaysian Airlines. It, mm. uh, the aircraft was constructed in 1997. It was powered by twin turbofan Rolls-Royce Trent 892 Bravo engines. Um, it flew 76,322.1 hours. It has 33 business seats and 247 economy. The economy class was a mix of two seats and three seats on, on either side, and then oh, you yeah. have four seats in the middle, mm. right? So you know that the edge near the window seats, there's usually two or three, and then yeah. the, the big center aisle with four seats, and yeah. then the other side can be two or three. Mm. If, everyone, if everyone's been flying, and they'll usually have like a diagram of the, of the seats sitting um, yeah. on the on the seat in front of you in the little pocket, so you can mm. kind of see what how the plane looks. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the so safety two, card, I think. So we're in two, two, three, four, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, DC, uh, 298 nationalities. So there's a little table which I extract mm. from the report. So 193 Netherlands citizens yeah. or Dutch citizens. Mm. So the big bulk of them mm. were from Netherlands. Uh, Malaysian, 43. Australian, 27. Indonesian, 12. UK, 10. Germany, 4. Belgium, 4. Philippines, 3. Canada one and New Zealand one. Mm. So, what's that? Over, over, yeah, two thir- almost two thirds are from uh, Dutch citizens. Yeah, on board. All right. So players and belligerents. So I tried to introduce the players that would would come up in the story. How did disaster of MH17 occur? So mm. you have ICAO's International Civil Aviation international civil aviation organization so it's an agency of the united nations it sets the practices and techniques for civil aviation so uh, also for passport standards as well as aerodrome standards and sets up the rules for investigating aircraft disasters you have iara so the international air transport association which is like the trade association or cartel uh, for airlines it defines technical standards for operating airlines and there was a bit of history where they had um, they, they fixed air ticket prices. Whoops. So you had the Sounds Uc- like lovely chaps. <laughs> you had the Ukraine uh, ATC, so Ukraine Air Traffic Controller. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they managed the airspace up to the recognized borders between Russia and Ukraine. So within Ukraine mm-hmm. up to Russia. Which obviously, though, that borderline was in dispute, thus the conflict. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there, but yeah. Mm. Uh, you had the Russian ATC, so after the aircraft crosses from Ukraine into Russia, mm. they would be responsible for be managing the aircraft. So there's a handover process in there, essentially, between yep. the two. Netherlands airport, so MH17 departed from the Netherlands. 
they had this the aircraft uh, the crew had to submit a flight plan to the airport but they were not responsible for overseeing the flight plan so flight planning is usually done by the airlines yeah. and they submit it submit their routes and they go yep the airport that uh, where they're departing from just makes a record of it so essentially this is, it's a rubber stamp process is that or is that is that fair uh it, it is quite messy because they they would approve it but then what are they approving it against yeah are they are they doing all the security checks mm. are they doing making sure they're flying all right it's like well you've got to approve flight plan from your company seems legit right yeah <laughs> so it's like you're starting here you're ending in the right destination cool if how you, you get there it's kind yeah. of where whatever we'll make we'll we'll know where you're going and yeah. if you get lost or if you disappear then we know mm. where you might end up Malaysian Airlines, they're responsible for developing their own flight plans and coordinate with other airlines. But they also, you know, in a, in a modern age where they have, you can buy a ticket from, say, uh, Qantas or uh, Virgin, and they're mm. part of this big alliance group. And yeah. then they, they you, you take a Qantas flight, but then it's actually like British Airways, yep, that kind of that's stuff. That's right. So it's, it's Malaysian Airlines code shares with also Qantas. So mm. that's why you got the 27 Australian uh, people. I do believe there's only a two people who actually use the Qantas code on their mm. airplane, um, but yeah, it's a new thing that ha- which which crops up in this event. Yeah. All right, so we talk about the players. Now let's talk about the Ukraine-Russian war because sure. that's where it sets a scene. Mm. So Ukraine-Russian conflict. If you understand about uh, the history of Ukraine, it's part of the Crimean region, and we remember about the Crimean War. Yeah. Uh, between Russia, the Brits, and the French. That's right. Yep, cool. So it is one of the back battlegrounds amongst uh, many of the empires that happened in history, the Mongols, the Polish, the Lithuanians, the Russians. You know, it is that bit between Europe mm. as well as Asia, yeah. right? So Ukraine sits in Eastern Europe. The population is about 77%, 77% Ukraine living in the Western regions, and you have about 17% Russian mm. living in the Eastern regions in Donetsk. So big demographic divide, and yeah. concentrations of those uh, different populations are pretty clear between the two regions. Mm. So if you go into like Wikipedia and you look up Donbass, which is the, the region, you can look up the... The ethnic breakup breakdown. Um, mm. So based on the two thousand and one census, mm. and then w- when you look at the conflict zones, it's like mm, it looks very similar to how the demographics are broken down. Yeah. Because I, look, I pulled up the two thousand one census, and you can see on the picture, it's like you know you have a picture of Ukraine. It's mostly in blue, but then mm. the eastern sides are reddish. And yeah, scattered, funny enough, scattered red dots. Yeah. Funny enough, it looks like the conflict zone if you mm. <laughs> emulate it there. Which, which is the interesting thing, because the people living in that in that in the conflict zone, majority would have been Russian, so they would have been sympathetic to Russia's argument of this is our territory, and they go, well, we're Russian, so we would much rather live in Russia than in Ukraine. But just because you've got a large population density in one country's territory that is of another nationality doesn't necessarily just denote the right that that other nationality can lay claim to that territory. Yeah. Otherwise, you would just have a block of people from country A hopping over to country B and saying, this is our stuff now. Yeah. Like, 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 that, that's not how our system works. Yeah. Like, there's, there's social, cultural uh, connections with the neighboring countries, yeah. but it doesn't mean that the, that country can just seize the territory. Exactly. Exactly. 
Uh, we call that eva- invasion. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so uh, for a while, there was a... Oh, just, just so you know, that idea's actually got some, a lot of implications to a lot of, uh, what would you call it, interactions between uh, different group, groups of people over the last 300, 400 years. Yeah. Uh, might, might be worth digging into sometime. Yeah. So, so you had the election of certainly a pro-Russian president, mm. so Viktor Yanukovych, and his policy was to move away from the EU, NATO, you know, traditionally, like, Ukrainians would associate with the European Union, NATO, yep. and uh, this pro-Russian guy wanted to move towards Russia. Yeah. Makes sense, right? And obviously he was elected, so there was enough pop- enough of a popularity to within the within Ukraine to uh, sympathetic to those ideas. Yeah. So that would be the assumption. Uh, and, and he suspended the Ukrainian-EU Association Agreement, which is to commit Ukraine to become a member of the EU. And he wanted to move towards Russia and the Eurasian Economic Union. I, don't, I haven't heard of that. Eurasian yeah. Economic Union? Is that a is that like a competitor to the EU? The counter block towards right. the EU. So who's a part, do you know who's a part of that? I am not sure. I will do some research later on that. <laughs> well, if you can look it up now, I guess. Yeah. And, and then maybe pop it up later on to the end of the... Uh, anyway, I'll keep going. Yeah. While you look it up. Uh, so there was instability in the 21st of November, 2013. Uh, there was protests, riots, and police crackdowns. Mm-hmm. There were, you know, the Ukrainians living in the Western regions weren't happy with the pro-Russian president and the move to go towards Russia. They wanted to be part of the Western Europe. And then you had 18 to 23rd of Feb in 2014, you had the Ukrainian revolution, which ousted the president and overthrown the Ukrainian government. In the On the 1st of March 2014, the Russian Federation Council adopted resolution by petition of President Putin to use military force in Ukraine and annex the Crimea and Donbass region. Uh, so the Crimea, looking at that big peninsula that juts mm. out into the Black Sea and the Donbass region, but it is pretty much that region between Russia and Ukraine. So, you know, one of the things, if you can recall, I guess, from history, is that, you know, a lot of Russia, Russian land is, is really cold. Yep. And so they would have a limited warm water ports. So uh, if you remember the Russian, uh, Russo-Japanese war, yes. they had to seize Port Arthur because it is one of those ports that is in the warm water area yeah so they can bring in trade they can bring in you know it's a life navy. it's a lifeline essentially yeah rather than like, they, i think what happened was that the the navy on the western side had to travel all the way you know down to the cape of the cape of york I right, think, right all the way to japan to fight them it's like it helps if your navy has warm water access on both sides of the country yeah. but russia mm. and so you know crimea that peninsula that juts into the Black Sea is, is, is a very juicy target. Yeah. What actions actually occurred? So there was wide media attention. There was uh, division and polarization of people between allying with Europe or, or with Russia. Mm. And then you had the separatist actions. So there's uh, local people living in, in those regions uh, de- declared themselves, you know, Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic, pretty much declaring themselves independent states from Ukraine. Right. Uh, you have that warm water port now in Sevastopol in Crimea, which now belongs to Russia. Mm. Uh, and you had a series of multiple aircraft shootdowns. So from April to 17th of July, so up to the event, uh, 16 Ukraine military aircraft were shot at from the ground. So you had military transport jets, uh, you had propeller aircraft, fast attack aircraft such, a, such as the Su 25. 
uh, and also military helicopters. But they all shoot down to low levels with fatalities and loss of aircraft. So an example of the height, you had uh, helicopters being shot down about 4,500 meters or 14,000 feet, as well as an Antonov 26 being shot down at 6,500 meters or 21,000 feet. Mm. And I suspect it was uh, because of manpad, so man portable air defense. So it's either that, you know, that you're, you know, think about, you know, Afghanistan, the little Taliban dude shooting, yeah. rock, you know, surface to air missile rocket launches yeah. at the aircraft. Or the other theory could be it's shot down by Russian aircraft, by air to air missiles. Right. Uh, because you have that border between Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. Anyway, anything before we move on from, I guess, the theory setting setting the setting the scene much. of the history of the the war up to the event. No, I don't think so. Pretty good summary of that. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if you got the Eastern European Eurasian Economic Forum. Not not Union. not a great deal, partly on account of my uh, internet not <laughs> being able to connect properly. But from what I can gather, it's a mu- it's a much smaller block of nations, including including Russia. Uh, but also, I got Belarus and Kaz- and Kazakhstan, which yeah. I believe are two bordering nations on Russia's border. Yeah. So pretty much they've formed their own block. I don't know to what extent, like if they're designed to try and combat or combat combat economically against the EU and the and what they perceive as the West, as the the Western bloc, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so Western nations, and they're kind of trying to economically create resistance there but i don't i want i want to get some more information it's just mm. the the net uh the wonders of the internet when yeah. it works it works when it doesn't it doesn't does it have as much power as the eu or like opec or apec no i'd say i'd say it's much from what i can see it's a lot it's a lot smaller it's pretty much russia or pretty much well it's on the wikipedia page it's on, on the su- google summary it says the uh primary language is russian so that kind of gives you an idea <laughs> yeah but yeah, it's uh, something something definitely look, definitely look into because I I had no, until you just mentioned it, I had no idea it even existed, mm. which again is interesting because I had no idea about up and up until mm. that aircraft coming down, I had no idea there was even a conflict between Ukraine and Russia, like open armed conflict, and that the nation of Ukraine had fractured and splintered into all these different interest groups. Yeah. Yeah. It was just this war that happened. Mm. But it's also mostly centralized between Ukraine and uh, Russia. It didn't yeah. really involve the EU or yeah. America or Australia mm. until, um, you know, we started getting involved when the aircraft got hit. Yeah. Well, we, we got involved. I, I, I remember the US were starting to take notice when Russia was taking over Crimea, was annexing Crimea. Yeah. And I do remember they, uh, America was getting a bit, getting a bit annoyed at, getting quite um quite upset and annoyed at Russia getting into the getting into the habit or the idea that they can just take territory of neighboring nations and get away with it which again destabilizes the the entire the, the region of that region of Europe which again we've had this tentative tentative peace between uh, East and Western Europe since the Cold War, since World War Two and the Cold War era. So, I remember Georgia being invaded by Russia back in like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I think I probably two thousand eight. Okay, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember that one. But again, I, I wouldn't be surprised. My my knowledge of uh, that of geopolitics in that area back yeah. then, I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that much. Mm. In this case, uh, okay. So next bit is the lead up to the event so the history mm. of flight so 
you know, I'll state this, uh, the times are in this report are mentioned in Central European time. Mm. So it's, it's, it's used from uh, Netherlands time mm. or U- UTC plus one or Greenwich Meridian time plus one. So the aircraft arrived from Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, 0636 at Amsterdam airport in Schiphol. If you can explain, <laughs> I don't know my, my Dutch. Uh, it spent about six hours in the airport to do a turnaround and servicing, and an MH17 departed the gate about 12 13 uh, Central European time. Mm. And uh, I'll just read from the report. Uh, the, I'll just read from the Dutch safety report in extract is the, air, the airplane left gate G3 13 minutes later than planned. Primarily due to overbooking and a late arrival of some transfer passengers on a scheduled flight to KL. Malaysian Airlines had prepared and filed an air traffic control flight plan. The flight crew was provided by the ground handling agent with an operational flight plan, NOTAMS, which is notice to airmen uh, information that you uh, sent uh, sent by the ATC on airspace, considering uh, flying events and restrictions. Mm. Uh, They gave the loading information as well as the weather information prior to departure. The material had been prepared in Kuala Lumpur by Malaysian Airlines. The operational flight plan contained detailed route information, a summary of the mass starter, fuel information, and information on winds and temperatures along the route. It was standard practice for the flight crew to study the material in order to adjust the fuel load or route plan if the, pli- if the pilot in command deemed this necessary. There were 298 persons, including 283 passengers on board the airplane, the crew was comprised of four flight crew members and 11 cabin crew members. Uh, so what does it mean? So the aircraft, the air crew, they look at the flight plan, which plans the route between, you know, Netherlands through all the, uh, was it the adjoining countries yeah. to arrive in KL. Departs north from Amsterdam, follows a set of aviga- air navigation waypoints or rec- international recognized waypoints set by uh, VHF omnidirectional range ground beacons if the beacons have a set you know gps then you can sort of navigate and hone your radar okay to lock on that signal and you can sort of get an idea where you are on the route yeah so it's going to go to netherlands then went to germany then went to poland and then went to ukraine but it got shot down Mm. yeah it would have continued to russia northeast iran afghanistan pakistan india thailand and then back in malaysia Right, uh, you can still fly that route. Mm. Uh, I believe it doesn't go quite through Ukraine; it might detour, but then use MH nineteen. <laughs> yeah, MH seventeen no longer exists. Right, uh, it's a thirteen-hour flight, or four hundred ninety-five point four kilometers, or three hundred and seven point eight three miles. Uh, so the flying height is about thirty-one thousand to thirty-seven thirty-seven thousand feet. Yes. So aircraft serviceability. So. Well, one reports is that uh, you know they noticed that the cockpit voice recorder area microphone cap in the cockpit was missing. You know, some of the cabin overhead bins uh, where you can store your luggage, mm. and there's some acoustic linings, and there was damage. But overall, nothing really telltelling that there might be some engine problems or some right. flight control problems. So it's definitely not maintenance. Yeah, from the wreckage. The, that the crew, sorry, that the investigation team found there was no pre-existing damage to the structure that would have been exacerbated by missile damage. So, if they would have survived the missile, would the structure, you know, the 
with damage the, with the, with the would have been the exacerbated. Yeah. Would, would have been exacerbated by it. Mm. Uh, so pretty much no. Uh, the Dutch safety board found no evidence that airplane was not found was not in an airworthy condition when departing the airport. So no evidence of that. Okay. Yeah. So let's uh, let's struck that off yeah. the list. Well, pretty much that's that's what you, that's what you do is that you have this long this long list of all the plausible scenarios and you start whittling away and eventually find out the reason hopefully at the end yeah so passengers and cargo so mass and center of gravity of the airplane was within authorized limits uh, there was appropriate load of passengers and cargo mm. and you know you can look up the i guess on google uh, the route that was planned mm. so again you can see uh, if you if you pull up the map of the route of MH17 oh, yeah. it has all these weird letters those are oh, the yeah. international codes so you have like EM OSN MOMSA PKIT, P-E-K-E-I-T, TAMAC. All those are ICAO. Like, that's where the nav- navigation points are. Right, okay. Uh, so there's four flight crew. So two teams of consisting mm. of the aircraft captain and the first officer uh, because it was required for, as required for a 12-hour flight or more. So this was 18 hours, so they exceeded that. So they have to have two crews. So there would there'd be a team's change yeah. in the middle. Uh, so the non-flying team would rest in the bunks, or they would rest in business class seats, or in the, as an observer. So, but Team B never flew the MH17 for that flight. It was just Team A. Right. Quickly go through some of the data. So FAA requires 1,500 hours to fly as an airline pilot, or two years, according to uh, ProPilotMag.com. So, use, so American airline pilots, we can say that's a standard. They usually accumulate 1,000 commercial hours per year. So I'll go through some of the data for the aircraft captain. He was 44 years old. He had 12,385 flying hours or, or 7,303 hours on the, uh, the 777-200. And he had the first officer who was 26 years old who had 4,058 flying hours and 296 hours on a 777 Dash two hundred. So, you know, uh, the aircraft captain has enough hours according yeah. to American standards. Mm. The so first officer, qualified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're qualified and competent. Mm. The first officer, you know, he's training to become the aircraft captain, so he has a bit less hours on the triple seven dash two hundred. But you know, he's understudying the aircraft captain. But again, you'd you'd expect that in any flight anywhere. So nothing yeah. out of the ordinary. Yeah, nothing out of the ordinary. They're all properly licensed. Mm. So. Nothing out of ordinary the aircraft, the crew, the the passengers. So like, there's no uh, sort of cargo. So there's no bombs in there. And the, if you go in the other reports, it talks about um, meteorites and and um, I guess like strange weather. Uh, nothing like that occurred. Please, please, tell me UFOs don't turn up in the report. I don't think. I don't think <laughs> UFOs. Yeah. So what happened? So Ukraine uh, in in the Ukraine, MH17 climbed to. 33,000 feet to 35,000 feet after the, the checkpoint. It was requested by the Ukraine ATC to climb to 35,000 feet earlier to deconflict de- de- with another aircraft behind it, mm. but it refused to request. And then what the Dutch investigators found, like this was normal operation consideration. So uh, Malaysian Airlines showed that uh, according to the Boeing Performance Handbook, this was the optimum altitude for fuel. There was a slight deviation, about six nautical miles, from its flight route, but that was because of bad weather or storm clouds. So mm. that, that, again, that's normal. You you don't want to fly through the storm clouds. You can get like lightning strikes on yeah. the aircraft, and that can also damage the cause aircraft. cause unnecessary. It's an unnecessary risk. 
Yeah. So reporting by the ATC, so last transmission from MH17 to Ukraine, ATC was about mm. 1512 or 312, uh, which was the next clearance to the waypoint from mm. Ukraine to Russia. Then MH17 impacted the ground near the village of Harbov. Uh, the locals report about report around 1530, uh, airplane debris and human remains impacted houses and gardens. Wreckage parts were spread over the villages of, of Rospine and Petropavlivka. So it says here, uh, from the Dutch safety report, wreckage was identified from six different sites spread over an area of, of about 50 kilometers squared. The majority of the wreckage was located in three sites southwest of Harbov. These three sites were located about 8.5 kilometers on a bearing of 80 degrees from the last known position of the airplane in flight. At two of these sites, post-impact fires has occurred. And one of the things that the report notes is that the Russian states, they don't keep records of data outside its border, despite its range capability of these radars. Mm. So all of a sudden, they don't want to cough up any data to support its investigation. They right. said, no, we don't keep any records of it. Where have I heard that before recently? <laughs> uh, but you know, you know they do, right? If they have the range, especially given it's a war zone, yeah. they would use a daughter. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm just a simple podcaster. <laughs> oh, pretty much. Uh, so what, same here, same here. Yeah. Uh, what happens in the aftermath of uh, the aircraft being shot down? Mm. So reports from the Donbass separatist leader, Igor Gurkin, posted on social media VK, so that's their Russian or Ukrainian Facebook, yep. that they shot down a Ukrainian Antonov-26. I believe that's like twin propeller aircraft. Right. And it says, which was repeated by the Russian news network. So Life News in Russia reported a new victory of Donetsk self-defense who shot down yet another Ukrainian airplane. Okay. Well, you know, well they think they shot down a Ukrainian airplane. There was also several eyewitness accounts that said they had shot down another Ukraine aircraft down. Mm. But then later on, all these separatists denied any involvement. As soon as they realized, oh, that might not have been a Ukrainian plane. Yeah. Oopsie. So the separatist leader, Alexander Borodai, reported to Russian media that the aircraft was a civilian airliner. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, so, so you had the Dutch-led investigation, which is where this report comes from, but you yeah. also had the joint investigation team. So criminal investigators from Netherlands, Belgium, Ukraine, Malaysia. I also believe it includes Australia. I think they, we were involved as well in yeah. some small way. So, so they're not looking at the how the aircraft was shot down in terms of the air accident itself, yeah. but they're looking at what are the forensics, what are the trails, Yeah, who would have, who and why would have. Uh, were the people involved? Yeah, and why did they shoot it down? Mm. So they started eliminating accidents. You know, maybe it's a terrorist attack. Maybe yeah. It was a bomb on board. No, yeah. they eliminate that. They also eliminate the air-to-air attack. And they started identifying the Buck missile system SA-11 Gadfly that shot down MH17. And they pieced together online information or public social media videos from of Russian troops actually traveling down the highway, yeah. convoying down to Ukraine. Yep. So you can actually see like the, the pictures, the, the serial numbers, the paint marks as well. Yeah. And you can see it over time. You know, when you're departing from base, right, you have your regular, you know, white numbers on the, on the, on the side of the vehicle. Yeah. But as soon as it gets to, you know, closer to the war zone, you start camouflaging it, yeah. dis- disguising it. Yeah. And you can see like later down the route, 
that uh, the paint was sort of painting over, right. painted over the, the white marks. Yeah. Why? Well, I mean, they're to hide that, obviously. Well, they're not supposed to be there. Yeah, they're exactly. Russian. They're, they're supposed to be these. They're not supposed. It's like they're Russians in Ukraine. Why is, are they in Ukraine? Yeah, this is a civil war. Nothing, nothing to do with us. Well, yeah. Oopsie. I don't know about any, uh, you know, separatists who suddenly got hands on <laughs> surface air vehicles. Pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the Russian-Ukraine conflict continues from 2014 to today. Still mm-hmm. going. It's still going. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it well, so. well, it is an, it is interesting that, and again, this is more comment on the this short bandwidth of media cycle that we all participate in. It's that we are so infuriated, infuriated and galvanized to action when something a tragedy like like this occurs. But as soon as the news cycle ends, we we as a people forget it even happened, and move on. Like, the fact that this conflict is still continuing, still going on to this day, and it hasn't been resolved in, what's that, 2014 to nearly, is that six years? Six, seven years. Seven years now. And it's, it's still still going on, but our awareness of it in Australia, we don't, we don't hear anything about it. Oh, it's a bit sad. Yeah. Um, a bit sobering. Mm-hmm. So why did it make sense for the operators to approve that flight package, right? Yeah. If, we, if we think that flight plan was developed by Malaysian Airlines, yep. why did it make sense for them to... Why did it get ticked to, off? To stamp, off, stamp on it and say, yep, good if to fly. Because they, essentially they've just delivered a flight plan that says, hey, we want to fly over an active war zone. <laughs> yeah. When you put it that way, it's like... And it, would have got, it wouldn't have just gone through. I would, I would imagine it wouldn't have just been passed across one person's desk. It would have been passed off by the person who, who created the flight plan to begin with, who would have checked it off with their boss, would have handed it over to the other departments and gone to the other organization. Yeah. So it would have, it would have passed, been passed through and gone, yep, this is good, this is good, this is good. Okay, plane, you can plane, you can take off and go. Yeah, if you if you're the aircraft captain, like, would you have any objections? Like, this is emailed to you. Hey guys, hang on. Company is telling you to fly through this area. Yeah, it's like, hang on, this is an active war zone. I guess then it begs the question: Who knew it was an active war zone? Hmm. So here's a look at the NOTAM system. Remember NOTAM notice to airmen? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what does it look like to you? I'll, I'll get you to describe it since. Uh, okay. Grab it from Wikipedia. What am I looking at here? So that little square box. Yeah, as in, oh, looking at it now. I'm just looking at what do I actually have here? Uh, Describe for me what it looks like. Then I'll try to interpret it for you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you know, you never seen a NOTAM before? No, no, I haven't. No. So you've got you've got a series series of lines filled with alpha alphanumeric uh, codes, essentially. Yeah. And some of, some of them are, are listed A B C. A, B, C, E. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, it looks like so a series of, series of codes of call signs almost looks that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I definitely, and the last point, last point is uh, a series, a series of instructions. Um, yeah, it looks like instructions. You yeah. know, like, uh, if you read it out, you know, do whip T, Y, B, South, click C, L, S, D, B, T, N, F, N, R, yeah. So, yeah. As as someone who d- is a designer and a bit of a developer for my my day job, I um, I could I could look at this and go that it's short. It's there's a form of shorthand going on here. It's a way to easily communicate. Yeah. 
if, uh, information. If you're a pilot, you'd be able to read this. Like, I remember yeah. I had a pilot friend who was, yeah. I was trying to go through some note terms. He's like, that's what it means. I'm like, how do you know that? Yeah. Just, they just know. It's, yeah. like, it's like code, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. Like, I, I, I'll look at some HTML, some CSS that makes a website look the way it does. And I'll intu- I, I now intuitively can read that code and understand what it would make, what it would appear on a website. Mm. Like, okay, make this box red with red, red and 50 pixels in size. It's like, yeah. I know what that code would actually look like on the screen. So, yeah, that, yeah. that does make sense to me, actually. So, you know, there's a bunch of a uh, series about, you know, uh, geographical locations, where it is, if you like EGLL, they would associate with London Heathrow Airport. Okay. It just, that is the standard notation for it. I would have gone, gone with L-O-N, but that's okay. Yeah. And then like, last bit, you know, that gibberish bit goes, due to work in progress, taxiway B South is closed between F and R. Taxiway R is closed between A and B and is diverted through a new green center line and blue edge lighting. Caution and advice. Okay. So, you know, caution and advice, CTN space ADZ. Mm. <laughs> that's very short form. Yeah, that's very short form. But in like, I, I guess, you know, back in the aircraft, in the olden aircraft, they mm. only had so much data, so you had to shorten everything. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you would, you, you have, I'm assuming this is something, so the pilot would receive this before they take off or while they're in the air? Uh, they would, they would take this uh, before mm. before takeoff, yeah. and it'd be probably printed out yeah. before you know before yeah. computers. And would it have to be just tap 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 type typed out really quickly? On Unless you had like billions of pages. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so so I guess what I'm trying to say is that you know these no terms are complex to interpret unless yeah. you take the time to go through it uh, bit by bit. Uh, but you're meant to review the no terms on your route. That that's what you do as a responsible aircraft yeah. captain. Um, and you draw upon many countries' databases. So mm. this is standardized across the world. They all use that same language. Uh, so you have to adjust, you, know, you have to interpret it, interpret the warnings, adjust your route, and cruising altitude accordingly. But nowadays, everything's electronic. So you can have electronic flight bags or tablets to help with flight planning. Yeah. And here's a go. here we go. So, so the US, UK, US, and Russian NOTAMs had warnings on Ukraine. Right. Right, so I'll just read part from the reports that, you know, on March 14, Russian issued NOTAM for Crimea, uh, not Donbass, that Russian ATC was introduced. Ukraine responds by issuing NOTAM, rejecting it. So Russian aircraft control says, we have controlled this airspace. Uh-oh. And then Ukraine says, no, you don't. <laughs> it's like, no, that's our stuff. <laughs> and then there's a pattern of them issuing NOTAMs against each other. <laughs> right. So, right. so, so essentially what we're talking about here is essentially an email war yeah. between two uh, control towers. Mm. Uh, so this leads to conflict of information and management of airspace by both countries. Yeah. Like, no, a, this is my airplane. Leave it alone. Yeah. So, you know, 2nd of April 2014, ICAO, you know, UN body here, publishes a letter to all members informing them of safety of civil flight through the Crimean area. And it says... Due to the unsafe situation where more than one ATS provider may be controlling flights within the same airspace from three from third of April 2014, 0600 UTC onwards, considerations should be given to measures to avoid the airspace and circumnavigate the Simferopol FIR or flight information region with alternative routings. So, so, don't, so don't fly. <laughs> and for reference, the um. 
the ICAO was the uh, you mentioned one of the characters earlier, uh, the, International uh, Civil, Civil Aviation Organization. That's right. So they're the they're the UN agency, not not the one that were involved in our uh, ticket fixing that you mentioned. No, that's IATA. Exactly. That's yeah. their um, so Air Transport Association. Yeah. I believe that's the thing. Anyway, so we've also back back to this. So the the UN the UN agency responsible for coordinating these flights, air traffic, air traffic over control, the world. They've issued a warning saying, "Do not fly over this region. They are fighting, pretty much. They yeah. will they will try and shoot you down if you do." Well, it's unsafe. Yeah, you know what? Fly around the area. Don't fly through it. Yeah, <laughs> and it had a supporting letters. So this flowed on in Eurocontrol, European Organization for the Safety of Flight of Air Navigation, mm. also supported that thing as well as EASA. Uh, European Aviation Safety Authority. Then later on, there was a letter that stated, ICAO continues to actively coordinate with all involved authorities, international organizations, airspace users, and other states in the in the region regarding developments as they unfold, specifically from those which could impact flight safety. Mm-hmm. But then later on, on the 2nd of April to the 17th of July, to the day of the event, Arkea never follows up with another letter concerning right. Ukraine. This is, there's a lot of parallels, actually, that we have that are probably relatable here is uh, travel warnings. Yeah. Where there's a terrorist attack, for example, overseas, often the Australian government will issue a travel warning. And there's a, there's a website you can go to where you can see all the different alerts. And if you either are planning a trip overseas or if you've got friends or family you know are overseas, you can go and check and keep stay up to date through that service. So we've, it's something similar that's happening here but obviously on the international stage in uh, in the aviation industry so not only that you're on the 4th of march 2014 the u.s federal aviation administration publishes a notam that u.s operators and airmen flying to from and over ukraine to be careful of potential instability and also increasing military activity then you had the 3rd of april 14 so a month later on U.S. FAA issues NOTAM, U.S. flights prohibitions for U.S. operators and airmen for flying over Crimea, Black Sea, and Sea of AZV. So that's that sea inside Crimea, right? Uh, Ukraine and Russia. So think of it like you know the Dead Sea kind of yeah, thing. Same yeah, same sort of deal. So it's, mm. a, it's this landlocked sea inside yeah. the, the region. Yeah, you got uh, Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee, that sort of thing. <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah, so Sea of a- AZF. As, mm. uh, so they must review security information, exercise extreme caution. Mm. So 23rd of April, 2014, US FAA issues no term saying, you know, all those flight prohibitations we said about that area applies to the whole of Ukraine. Right. <laughs> the entire Dutch, country, do yeah. not go. Yeah. So Dutch Safety uh, Board says, you know, no nation apart from Ukraine had anything specific on the eastern Ukraine. So that we're talking about that, you know, that little border mm. area. March 14, Ukraine publishes no time to close or restrict airspace. 30th of June 2014, the UK, United Kingdom, issues recommendations to avoid flying over Crimea, but not that eastern Ukraine area. So remember the Crimea is that little peninsula mm. area? Yeah. Then the 14th of July 14, Ukraine reports an Antonov 26 shoot down. So three days before the incident. Right. I will read this letter from the RNBO, so it's the Ukraine Defense Council Information Analysis Center, of 14th July 2014 at, at 5 o'clock, so three days prior to MH17 event. So it says, military operations in a conflict zone. Today, all communications of an Antonov-26 aircraft, or it's a twin prop airplane, of the armed forces of Ukraine was lost at approximately 12.30 hours. 
The aircraft ensured air transport during the active phase of anti-terrorist operations. Ukrainian soldiers immediately started a search and rescue operation. Crew members were finally reached. During the evening briefing, Andrei Lysenk, the spokesman for the Information Analysis Center for, of the National Security and Defense Council, announced today the defense minister reported to the president of Ukraine that, fortunately, the crew had managed to eject from the damaged aircraft. It turned out that the plane had been flying at an altitude of 6,500 meters when it was hit. No portable anti-aircraft missile system, which is currently used by the terrorists, can strike an aircraft at such an altitude. Antonov-26 was hit by a more powerful weapon that was probably fired from the Russian Federation. Based on information transmitted by the Ukrainian pilots, two versions are currently being considered. A shot from... So, a shot was fired from either the Pantsir Modern Ground-Based Air Defense System or the X-24 guided air-to-air missile from a Russian aircraft, which could have been taken off from my so Milyarovo Air, Airport. Mm. Yeah, so what, what, what does that tell you, you know? Uh, three days before an event, something's been shot down, and we have some theories yeah. of how it got shot down. Yeah. It's either one of those... Uh, it's either ground-to-air, vehicle-to-air, ground to vehicle or air-to-air. Yeah. yeah. This is what Investigations talks about, the assumptions made by Malaysian Airlines. So if you had a NOTAM by Ukraine, then it must be in control. Like, if Ukraine issues out a notice, then they must be in control of the area. They, yeah. They've told us instruction, right? Mm. There were, uh, Malaysian Airlines actually were not aware of any conflicts or shootdowns reported by the Ukrainian military until after MH17. Right. None of this actually got through them. The, yeah. the, the whole letter we, we just read? Didn't get through. No. No one's drew the connection. Mm. So the only U.S. NOTAM applicable uh, was if the aircraft had flown of the U.S. Otherwise, you know that um, the iPads or yeah. the, or that software system that didn't show up yeah. on their on their planning mm. when the aircraft captain got the the plan from Malaysian Airlines. Yeah, which does which doesn't make a great deal of sense to me that they wouldn't have got this information because if you have got a one location. It doesn't matter which service, which country is providing the intel on this country called Country A. It makes a lot more sense that regardless of the sort, regardless of the country of origin, you should be receiving as much intel or information or notices about the region you're about to fly over. Yeah. That seems to be the a bit of a flaw in the, in the thinking of the system. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what uh, they picked up. Uh, Malaysian Airlines has a security department, but they're only concerned with passenger or cargo security and ground safety. Right. You know, if, the, if it's flying, then it's flying, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing to worry about. Mm. Um, it takes off, it can land, our job's done. Yeah. Big threats to uh, to, air, to our airlines, you know, terrorists trying to sneak and board bombs, yeah. that kind of stuff. Uh, if you land in the middle of, you know, whoop, whoop, what's the situation down there? Can they land? Or is yeah. it a danger to mm. the crew and the aircraft and the passengers? So they actually did a survey as well amongst other airlines that were flying around that region. And only one operator closed because one of the guys, one of their, you know, people were actively monitoring the situation of the Ukraine uh, from March 14. So all that conflict thing that we're talking about. Mm. So, hey, maybe we shouldn't be flying around there. Yeah, there. maybe. <laughs> And uh, what's interesting, I've actually picked up, is uh, in the appendix of the report, it talks about other airlines that f- uh, flew through that 
eastern Ukraine area. So, you know, we think it's just Malaysian Airlines that cocked up. Yeah. So I would just read, go from the list, you know, Greece, Russia, UAE, Kazakhstan, US, Austria, Pakistan, Swiss, uh, UK, Singapore Airlines, Virgin Atlantic, Emirates, Air France, Air India, Delta Airlines. It, and then Malaysia Airlines. And then Malaysia end. Airlines. But, but it like, wasn't just they fouled up. Like yeah. the, the, it, it wasn't incompetence of the, either the pilots or the maintenance crew or the company or that company. They this tragedy occurred because they drew the short straw essentially. Yeah. Like random fluke. It highlights any one of these other airlines could have been could have easily become the target. If they, uh, you know, just small adjustments to their mm. flight route, they may have managed to avoid being mm. shut down, and then it could have been, you know, mm. DHL, it could have been Singapore Airlines, or well, Emirates. I find it, I find it interesting that the US and UK were are in that list as well, <laughs> because uh, what was it? Uh, Delta, Delta Airlines. That's a US airline, and they had the they had the NOTAM warnings. Well, they had the NOTAM warnings, but they only popped up if you originated departed or flew over US and UK. Oh, okay. right. So you don't have to be a US airline to get the US notes. No, no, no. Like on your route, if you set mm. it like a GPS route, yeah. right? If you didn't fly from US or go through or go across US or, or you didn't cross UK yeah. or US or arrived in US uh, oh, okay. and then along the route you also flew on Ukraine, then you didn't get the warning. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm this is me assuming is yeah. that Delta Airlines they would have transited at Europe yep to a crew change get a new flight pa- flight route yep and that would clear all the previous warnings right or clear all, all the original uh, des- uh, the, waypoints and say you are flying from Europe to blah again that it's hi- it's highlighting there's a massive loophole in this system that we that we've created for ourselves yeah to manage international aircraft flying and interacting day by day just to avoid collisions and miscommunication there's a massive gap in the system here yeah yeah so yeah you know no time system one of the official tools to plan flight plans can't mm. be relied upon in a conflict no one has you know no one apart from ukraine or russia has really any clear idea about the airspace mm. and they both issue conflicting no temps because they want to have control because there's a war going on yep this is my this is my stuff no it's my stuff yeah and then like you know what's the messaging being sent from those two countries to the wider community mm. this region is unstable well don't fly you it. assume that right yeah you, we look in hindsight there. okay they shot an aircraft yeah well not not even that if you've got two neighboring countries that are fighting over who controls the territory it means that you can't trust it it's an it's you're if you go and talk to ukraine or russia hey is this airspace clear it's unreliable information because they don't know they're fighting over it right now but they're issuing no term so it looks of looks, it looks looks, looks, looks official, official. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you so, know, so, someone needs to take their no-tam privileges away. <laughs> uh, assumptions, but yeah, but you can't do that because then, um, like, you want at least some kind of information yeah. going out to what your database, yeah. open database, yeah. rather than no nothing going there. Well, well again, to, to make try and make this a little, ta- a little bit more relatable, it's it's as if Queensland, New South Wales, we ha- they had a no-tam system, yeah, set up, and they were fighting over the borderline of. Which, which of this is, is part of Queensland, this is part of New South Wales. 
we actually had a little bit of this during the coronavirus lockdowns, actually, with mm. people who lived on the border in Australia, sorry, Australia, in Queensland, but they worked in New South Wales or vice versa. They couldn't get across the border because it was locked down. Yeah. What was the other one? Yeah. Assumptions of a separatist, separatist activity. So, you know, what Ukraine calls terrorists. Mm. That the weapon systems would have been uh, man pads, Russian aircraft support. So, you know, they don't have the range that would have targeted those high altitudes that airliners would yeah. fly across. And they're only, you know, these terrorists, right? they're only targeting military aircraft, right? Mm. They're not going to target civilians. No, if they had a death wish. <laughs> <laughs> but we hope. <laughs> but it's so hard, right? You know, you're talking about, what, 31,000 feet? Yeah. Or 37,000 feet. Mm. So I'm assuming military aircraft are flying at a lower altitude so well, they can you, do maneuvers. you got helicopters, you've got yeah. uh, propeller aircraft, not turbofan. Right. And you had close air support, right? So the guys, you know, I think, you know, A-10s. Yeah. Or they fly at low level to make sure the ordnance are dropped on target. Right. And of course, so the civilian aircrafts are flying at a much higher altitude so they can avoid all that stuff pretty much yep yeah well, well that that's their optimum cruising altitude right to, for their purposes for fuel efficiency, efficiency yeah, yeah that makes sense yep yeah it seems strange like you know we talk about all these civilian airlines and they've mm. gone through the area and nothing yeah. happened so nothing popped up mm. so why did it make sense for the aircraft captain and first officer to fly through the area um, well, I, well, I can rem- I can remember when the story first emerged, pilot incompetence, right? That like that's that was that seemed to be the most logical reason of why in the world would you fly your plane over an active war zone? Yeah. But I think what we're what we're learning from digging into this report is that that actually wasn't the case, was it? Well, I mean, everything looks official, right? Yeah, it appears on your system. It uh, has, you know, stamped by Ukraine ATC or Russian ATC. Yeah. Someone's in control. Mm. Not only that, so your flight package and it was approved by your company. Yep. It's endorsed by Malaysian Airlines. Uh, security assessments are only done on arrival and departure. Mm. Cargo, baggage, pax- passengers, staff and planes. So they don't, don't consider Ukraine, right? So there's an example, actually. The Malaysian government requests Malaysian Airlines to charter flights to Yemen mm. to evacuate citizens. But the security department advised not to accept it. All right, you don't want to because they had that war zone in Yemen, right? Yeah, and they had some Malaysian people mm. in need of rescue. So the government of Malaysia says, "Can you fly to Yemen and then take our pass- uh, civilians back?" And then the security department says, "No." But they only do security in that kind of assessment, not right. flying over. Nothing from. Malaysian intelligence or the embassy provided any support to these flight packages. Flight operations planning, right? You rely mm. on no taps. You don't have. You don't have military style intelligence reports. Or you don't anything. have even the news. You don't really consider news. And, yeah. and so this is going about. Well, because again, the new. Well, the news source would be opinions. So it's not as reliable as your no tam, which would be your source of truth. Yeah. Yeah. And like so, it, so much of what we do, we rely on having a source of truth that we can base sure sound a sure and sound sound foundation on. So it makes sense that for the pilot, their source of truth, their foundation stone is are these NOTAM hmm. uh, reports. Yep. Yeah. So I'll uh, I think you're on, you're spot on. So I'll just read from the report, the Dutch safety report. Yeah. So the briefing package for flight MH17 also included two NOTAMs related to the Rostov 
FIR, which, which the Russian Federation published on the 16th of July 14, became effective from 17th July 2014. These new terms, which stated that the use of the number of flight routes on the Russian side of the border with Ukraine was subject to altitude restrictions, including a reference to the armed conflict in the eastern part of Ukraine as a reason for the flight restrictions. Information provided in these new terms was, however, not clear-cut, in addition to the altitude restriction, which was effectively the same as the restriction in force in the neighboring Ukrainian UKDV FIR. It included a second flight restriction. The airspace was restricted below FL530. The automatic filter applied by the automatic flight plan system used by Malaysian Airlines accepted NOTAM despite this contradiction and this did not lead to a route change. So FL530, I believe it's 530,000 feet. Mm. Uh, and there were two conflicting NOTAMs, by, one by Ukraine and one by Russia. You know, you can press the is it the the clear button to mm. if there's any contradictions, just clear it. Yeah, and then just accept it. So you know, we think about the cues, right? So you know, if you were uh, aircraft captain flying from Netherlands to KL, you submit your flight plan. First of all, the airport accepts it. <laughs> yeah, surely there must there must be know something around it. Yeah, but no, like if you well, look at the actual rulings, you know the responsibility of these flight plans mm. belong with the operator, so Malaysian Airlines rather yeah. than the the Dutch airport. But Malaysian Airlines is in Malaysia; they don't know what's going on the ground in the region. Mm. Dutch intelligence, so their foreign service and military department, knew about the air threats mm. and the man pads and the Russian air to air missile, but they did nothing to support the Dutch airport mm. and to then therefore feed into operators. Yeah. If you interact with the ATC, you know, what you, okay, once you're in the air, right, and you're talking to someone and it says, fly here, fly this level, fly that, you think you're there, someone's in control. Yeah. So they're not getting any feedback saying, hey, you're flying mm. into danger. Yeah. So therefore, you know what the investigation team said, look, despite all the hind- you know, hindsight and looking back, mm. the crew were getting the cues, you know, it's okay to fly around the area. Someone's in control. Someone's yeah. in control of the area. Information wasn't getting to the crew. That's the problem. Mm. No one was doing the threat assessment by the airlines. Yeah, so other aircraft were flying in the area, right? If you're flying from Netherlands to KL, there's aircraft in front of you. There's Mm. also aircraft behind you. Everything's going all right. Mm. This is sort of where the report shifts now towards, okay, how do we know it's a missile, that kind of theory? Yeah. So they did the forensics, and they found explosive residue, uh, swabs from the wreckage. It shows uh, nitroamine. RDX and trinitrotoluene, so TNT and PATN, mm. all those explosive chemicals that you can't pronounce. There's paint on wreckage which matches some missile components, so they're actually mm. not from that 777 200. Mm. And they found little bow tie fragments or preformed fragments in the fuselage of the aircraft as well as the bodies of their crew members in the, in the cockpit. If you go into the report, you can actually look at the little, unfortunately, some of the debris that they pulled out, and you can see the little bow tie. It's bent because it's come, you know, come on, on uh, people. It's mm-hmm. impacted upon people, struck bone, struck flesh. Yeah. 
So there's four distinct shapes that they pulled from the captain's body, purser's body. So that's the lead flight attendant, mm-hmm. as well as the first officer's body. So all centralized in that cockpit. Yeah. That flight attendant was actually inside that cockpit mm-hmm. talking to them. And then they showed a little picture in the report of if you had the warhead, hey, that's what the fragments would look like, the preformed fragments. So when it explodes, it explodes these little fragments and it looks like the missile's warhead. So these fragments are unique only by the warhead fitted to the missile on the Buck missile system. So they're not air-to-air missile. This is a... Because if it's air-to-air missile, they usually put little strings... Mm. as fragments not bow tie fragments right uh, no fragments indicating cannon fire mm. so they think you know aircraft would have shoot you know bullets at the aircraft but no they couldn't find anything and then we had that joint investigation which found out all these media posts of trucks buck missile systems mm. leaving Russia to go to the border so it all comes together and he's, hey there seems to be one real theory which is a Russian missile defense system shut down the aircraft I'll go on to the recommendations and findings and, and I'll, I'll get you to uh, see if you can agree disagree and see if it makes sense or not so air, one of them is airspace management and conflict zones so Ikea states that each state is responsible for how it runs its airspace but if it's a conflict right mm. you can't guarantee the safety of the airspace yeah how do you incentivize them to take more responsibility? Because, you know, the military, they're in control. You know, civilians, you should be out of, in this war zone. Yeah. But how do we get them to make sure that the information is put out there saying, don't fly this through this area? Mm-hmm. And then how do you tell other people not to fly through that area as well? So to ICAO, they say, update the standards for managing airspace in conflict zones, ask the states for more information as well as ask other ICAO state members to ensure they comply with the new standards because we talked about mm. all these other countries are flying through the area. Uh, risk assessment, so make information about airspace available, improve standards on ICAO risk management concerning conflict zones. States ensure that operators risk assess flying through conflict zones because remember we talked about security departments, right? They never consider flying through those areas. Yeah, It's only ground safety or baggage safety or mm. passenger safety. Next is operator accountability. So how do you get these airlines to tell you these information about where they're flying, right? Because when you buy a ticket, do you really know where the flight route is? Of course not. <laughs> you, you put your trust in the pilot that they're going to do their job and get you from point A to point B. Yeah. But we're finding that the pilot is putting their trust in another system. Yeah, like, yeah. like, you know, one of the areas is northeast Iran, and then also another area was, was flying through Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. So how do you make them more accountable? So one of the things is to tell the airlines to publish their information on the flight routes so yeah. that customers can actually review it mm. and then decide whether to buy that ticket or not. Yeah. Because you know what? You expect to know when what which but country is flying but, in the area. But would that have actually helped? Because... Let's say, let's say I was on that flight and or I was looking, looking to get that flight and I, ha- I had that information on hand. I didn't know that there was a conflict going on in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. How was I? How was I to know? No one, like in this case, and there was, there's, there's responsibility on my shoulders for not knowing, but could because the information is available for if you wanted to go and look, but people didn't know. Yeah. So. 
But maybe it's a culture shift that you need to make the information available and then people start looking it up or yeah. booking the ticket to, hey, yeah. Ukraine, maybe you don't fly over the area. Mm. <laughs> Look over something else. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you actually hold airlines responsible or accountable? <laughs> well, that's the, that's the challenge. The easy answer is, oh, we, ne- we need some form of regulation of the airlines or to put it more simply, we need a governing body to oversee oversee all the airlines and make sure they're doing the same thing and sharing information mm. but that's bloated bureaucracy and we've we've dis- we've discussed with the housing market how bloated bureaucracy or bureaucratic solutions to try and solve problems often leads to more broke or more broken systems it doesn't actually create a better solution yeah well so then isn't this recommendation Publishing the flight routes for passengers, mm. giving more information and clarity and, and transparency yep. to the buyer of the ticket. It would, yes. And that, that, that would work if the passenger then took that information and did something with it. Yeah. But, the, but again, and again, the onerous is on the passenger the same way my not knowing there was a conflict in Ukraine, I've got no one to blame but myself because that information is available. The recommendation is probably sound. Is probably sound because if I'm flying, part of my responsibility is then to go and check each of the areas that I'm flying over. Exactly in the same way that if the road, if I'm driving and the road floods or it's raining, I should check my route to see if there are any flood warnings. Yeah. And if there's a flooded road, don't drive through it. You know, imagine. You- you got a ticket to like Europe, right? And yeah. It's like, well, you're flying with North Korea or Thailand, you know, Myanmar with the, yep. with the coup going yeah. on, uh, Syria, Iraq. Yeah. Maybe you're flying over ISIS area. Yeah. You should know what you what, what countries you're flying over. Yeah. Yeah. But most of the time, you know, I guess I'm mostly asleep. And I think that I'm safe because I'm up in the air, not down on the ground. It's a, <laughs> it's a bit of a mistake there, a bit of a misconception, but. Uh, yeah. So, so the other bit is code sharing, right? Yeah. So Malaysia 17 is a popular flight for those mm. flying from the US, stop over in Amsterdam and go on to Malaysia. So they found out from code sharing, KOM, so that it uses, uh, is a Dutch airline and 11 passengers use mm. the KLM code, 269 using the Malaysia airline, two passengers were using mm. Qantas code and one passenger with Garuda Indonesia. And so that makes it more complicated, right? So who is the operator now? Mm-hmm. Is it Malaysian Airlines? Is it KLM, the Dutch yeah. airline? Is it Qantas or mm-hmm. is it Indonesia? Who is responsible for approving that flight plan? Yeah. Well, you bought your ticket through Qantas. Is Qantas <laughs> responsible? No, because no. they, they, they could because they're just they provide, they're sharing they're sharing sharing the plane. Yeah. So what's happening is responsibility is being abdicated on every single level down. Mm. So the passenger isn't responsible for knowing what's going on, what's going on, where they are traveling through. They're not responsible. The pilot is respons- isn't responsible because they, they're being fed the information, the important information that they're being told is the good, is the right information. The person you bought your ticket from, that's they're not responsible either. The airport is responsible. So there's, the responsibility keeps getting pushed. Yeah. It's pretty- and, dis- and separated from the people actually involved in the situation, which are 
people who are directly involved are the people in the airplane and they don't know no one's taking charge no one's taking responsibility yeah. can't really rely on those um two nations fighting yeah. a war because you can't trust either side mm. because yeah they, they have their own interests yeah so you know some of our reflections are you know as you said we trust a lot of airlines and operators to make the right decisions mm. and we assume a lot of things that they're taking us the safe route but we need to maybe demand accountability from these airlines that they provide a safe route yeah uh, there's systematic gaps at each level so each of the people in charge of mm. looking over part of the aviation uh, management you know ICAO down to the countries yeah. down to you know the actual NOTAM system right yeah uh, each of them has a, a failure which lead to that accident just increasing its chances of occurring yeah and then you know were MH17 just unlucky mm. right because we've seen all these other operators go through the area <laughs> yeah as I think I mentioned earlier it was like it seems almost like they've they just drew the short straw yeah on this tragedy and you know what who's in charge who's in charge of looking at the aircraft flying through that war zone mm. no one's in charge yeah and hopefully these recommendations will come out and you know well hopefully these recommendations will fix the problem yeah but it takes like you know the recommendations seem so far-fetched from natural flying through the war zone. Yeah. But you realize that it, if you want to make a really good recommendation mm. on how to fix stuff and prevent tragedies from reoccurring, yeah. it has to occur high up. You can't just go up. Don't pilot, fly through. Pilot's fault sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Don't, it's like don't, it doesn't work. Well, yeah. you can't just say don't fly through Ukraine because yeah. it might be Syria, it might be Yemen, it yeah. might be there's a, there's, other countries. Yeah, there's a, there's a wider principled approach almost here that has to happen yeah as a shift yeah well mate i will let you take us home on this uh, ending of this podcast episode sounds good <laughs> no pressure <laughs> <laughs> i think there's a i think there's a larger principle here of the story that we've looked at where from the passengers to the pilot to all the different characters we've met that they've put their trust in authorities and systems to get them home safely and i think it's re i think it's actually really important that we should be vigilant of the things that we are looking up to and relying upon to keep things running smoothly and make sure that the things that we are put that we are putting our trust in are reliable are, are trustworthy something interesting that's coming out of coming out of this is that trust was misplaced we tried that we tried to build a system we we as a group tried to build a system to manage something very very complex but there was a major loophole here that this tragedy is actually uncovered and you're right that the recommendations will will come out and hopefully that loophole can get can get fixed in this instance but again i think the wider principle is that it's a it's a lesson that we should be vigilant to try and not put our trust in systems and kind of abdicate our responsibility for our own safety for our own li our own lives yeah uh, and you know what you, you can't just blame the aircraft captain and the flying pilot oh, yeah. sorry and the co-pilot yeah right because there are these authorities at each level from high mm. down to low and the chains and the links there are broken yeah. because yeah. information's not getting out there to not fly through this area yeah and there's assumptions made that someone's in charge, but no one's in charge. And because and because these 
there were these major oversights that resulted in this tragedy, the whole the whole system fell apart. Yeah. This whole the, and again, this is a this was a significant, complicated and interconnected system. But one small chink in that armor, the whole thing collapsed. Mm. And and what what you're left with is not with the people who run that who are running that organizing and managing that system got hurt. Innocent victims got hurt. People yeah. who put their trust in it and unfortunately lost their lives as a result. Mm. All right, guys. Uh, thank you for listening to The Fire and Desert. Uh, we will catch you guys next time. Mm. Till next time. If you like this episode and podcast, please like and share with your friends and subscribe. You can reach us at thefireinddesert at gmail.com or Twitter at fireinddesert. Music is Up Fox and the Fox by Kim McLeod at incomtech.com. And thank you for listening to The Fire in the Desert, conversations about life, culture, and society. 